now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hope and Chris finish the last episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Luckily, dependable Dave Filoni and crew create Rebels with new characters, new places, and new adventures. Thus, keeping hope alive for this podcast. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of Star Wars Rebels. In this episode, following the loss of Kanan, the Ghost Crew looks for direction and answers. There will be... Thrawn gets mad, Hera gets sad, Ezra gets chased, and Zeb and Sabine get even. I did think about trying to rhyme that, and then I was like, nah, I'm too lazy. We're talking about Doom this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. You having a good week so far? Yeah, so far so good. It's hot here. It's in the 90s. So it's been sweaty, but... We've been cool today because we've had rain most of the day, so that's cooled us off. But we, we've been really hot, too. Um, it cools down nice at night, so at least there's that. At least you can sleep in it. Yeah, we've been having uh, debates over the thermostat. Ah. <laughs> uh. So... It's one of those things that, like, after someone goes to bed, like, someone else changes in, and then well, somebody either wakes up really cold or just covered in sweat. We've been having thermostat wars here. So, yeah. I'm having a good week, you know. Uh, good, just to date this episode. Very chill, 4th of July. Our redneck neighbors were setting off fireworks, so we got, got to watch those. So, our thank our God. whole city set off fireworks for, like, three hours. <laughs> It was like literally almost anywhere you went in the city, in the city limits, there was a haze of fireworks smoke. It was unbelievable. Yeah, like the, we have two neighbors, uh, neighborhoods on either side of our neighborhood, um, but uh, we couldn't see their fireworks because of the trees. But our redneck neighbors were setting them off in the backyard of their house, at that which is completely surrounded by trees. So we're just like, oh, good for you. And we also held on to, like, these really big packing bubbles. Um, and that was that was our personal fireworks, was just, like, popping all these packing bubbles together. Oh, my fun. God. Oh, my God. They were, God. like, the big ones, like, the ones that are, like, six inches wide. And then just when you pop it, it's just, like, boom. <laughs> yeah, you got to fill them with flammable gas and then light them off if you're going to do 4th of July. Come on. No. I didn't do any. I, I worked, so <laughs> I listened to all the fireworks, so I, I don't have anything to say. It, it, I, I'm no place burned down here. I mean, we had no official fireworks for the city. They canceled those. And I mean, ser- seriously, all ar- like all around my house, it was like a war zone. You could go outside and it was just like a boom, 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 all from all directions. And uh, not one place burned down, and it's been dry, too. So we lucked out on that regard. At least uh, as far as I've heard, I haven't heard of any place burning down because of our fireworks. But it was lucky. Yeah. 
We've actually been very wet. I think like we're over like like twelve inches above average in rainfall this year. It's been nice. I I like it when it rains because it's not hot. Because I hate the summer. I hate summer. It's so hot. I hate it, Chris. I hate it so much. Yeah, I never wanted to end up here. Ugh. Oh, you can you can have it. It's gross. Well, you want to talk some Star Wars? I'm ready. All right. I have a little bit of business to get out of the way. The last piece. Of oh, here's the time for Chris to tune out. <laughs> yep. Cut my fingernails right now for a little while here, folks. I'll keep this one short because it's my least favorite. So I have been filling in the uh, Ooh, maybe canon. I can use this to leverage a little bit of uh, doubt into into hope, viewers. No. Yeah, let's just, let's talk about Thrawn treason. No, it's just it's a really poorly written book that had no reason to be written in the first first place. <laughs> you sure it was the writing? Are you sure it was the writing? Yeah. Okay. To, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> But we've been filling in the extra canon materials between, uh, like, with books and comics ever since we finished Clone Wars, and I've been wanting to fill in those gaps. And so I've already talked about Thrawn 2015. I've talked about Thrawn alliances between Season 3 and Season 4. And now it's covering the seven days that Thrawn is missing from this timeline. So from the time he left last episode to the time he comes back to Lothal in the finale, it's a week. Here's what happens in Thrawn Treason. So, as we saw... Hey, Thrawn, how has your week been? The first part of the book is the only part that I was like, this is great. (laughs) The rest of it sucks. So, what happened, as we saw last week's episode, Tarkin comes along and he's just like, Thrawn, Krennic wants to steal all your money for the TIE Defenders to put it towards uh, Project Stardust. Are you going to let him? And Thrawn's like, oh, no. So he goes to Coruscant, right? And he's there with Krennic and Tarkin. And they're all in front of Palpatine. And the whole time, Palpatine's like, what the fuck am I doing here? Why am I here? I have a very important nap to get to. And the whole time, Krennic's like, I want all of Thrawn's money for my project. Tarkin, make him give him my money. And Tarkin's like, I don't like you, bitch. I want your project. Sir, Krennic sucks at his job. Can I have the Death Star? And Krennic's like, no, it's mine. And literally during this entire conversation, Thrawn's like, I'm fighting rebels on Lothal. Why am I here? So Palpatine is just like, I'm really super bored with this. Why Why are we all here? And it turns out that Krennic is having problems with fucking Minox eating their gas lines. <laughs> eating their gas lines for the Star Destroyer. Not the Star Destroyer. Their uh, gas lines for the Death Star. But they can't get rid of these Minox. So they make a bet. If Thrawn can get rid of Krennic's rat problem then he gets to keep his Titan Defender money. If he can't do it in seven days, Krennic gets his money. This is the plot of Thrawn Treason. So Thrawn's like, are you serious? You want me to get rid of your fucking rat problem for you? And they're like, yes. And Palpatine's like, I don't care. Just fine. This is the way Drago get done. Well, Thrawn gets there. And of course he sees the Minox. And he right away figures out the problem that 
they're there on purpose because they're covering up smuggling or something. I don't know. They're covering the Minox are there as a ruse. So Thrawn goes to investigate the ruse. And you might remember back during Thrawn Alliances uh, when we covered that. There are these evil bad guys called the Grisks, and they're from the Unknown Regions, and they're enemies of the Chiss, and they've been slowly invading the Empire secretly. And so Thrawn, as he's investigating, he comes across the Grisk. He also comes across his old buddy, Admiral Aralani, who is a Chiss Admiral, and she was Thrawn's boss when he was still with the Chiss. And <laughs> this is what makes me mad, because when they were promoting the Brook, they made it sound like Arlani, who has Eli Vanto with her. And Eli Vanto, as always, is just such a good boy and the best character in this fucking book. They're both, it was promoted that they were both coming to tell Thrawn of something dire. Nope, that's not the plot of this fucking book. So when you read the plot of Thrawn Treason on the back of the book, ignore it because they fucking lie. Anyway, so Thrawn is investigating these Minoc supply lines and runs into Aralani and he's like oh my god Lonnie what are you doing in this side of the galaxy and she's like oh my god Thrawn what are you doing here and they're like hey 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 let's work together and the whole time Eli's like oh god everybody in the chimera is gonna hate me because I left them because Thrawn told me to leave them to go work for the Chiss so he teams up with Karen and then we get introduced to some death troopers named Pick and Waffle Pretty much long story short, the Grisk have invaded so far into the Empire that they've actually teamed up with a guy named Grand Admiral Savit. He's one of the, uh, so he's in the same rank as Thrawn. Savit is, Savit's job is to protect the Death Star. So these invading Grisks have infiltrated Savit, and they're this close, and they're trying to get their hands on the Death Star so they can steal it and take it back to the Unknown Regions. Of course, everyone's like, oh, this is a really bad day. And Savit is willingly working for them because... I forgot why. <laughs> for some reason, Grand Admiral Savit's like, yeah, I'll betray my entire galaxy. Let's do this. I don't remember why. So Thrawn catches Savit. Uh, bags him, but in the process of all this happening, Arinda in this ep in the last episode blew up the fucking fuel depot. So regardless of him beating Krennic's game, winning the wager, catching Grand Admiral Savit, and stopping the Grisk from stealing the Death Star, he still loses his Tie Defender project because Arinda Price fucked everything up last episode. <laughs> so <laughs> it's yeah. Um, and then at the end of the episode, at the end of the book, he's standing. Well, I guess I'm not putting down good delegator of authority as my pro Thrawn statement this week. It's oh god, it's this book didn't need to be made. <laughs> I'm so mad. It's such the only good part of this book. Here we go. There are two good parts of this book. What? Well, three good parts. Three good parts of this book. Four. <laughs> Four good parts. One, pick and waffle are great. Two, Eli Vanto is the best boy. Um, even though Thrawn ignores, Th I, I shouldn't say Thrawn, Timothy Zahn ignores all of Eli and Thrawn's friendship from the first Thrawn novel and is just, does, and I, it, uh, I have to wonder if he was just like, oh my God, people are shipping Thrawn and Eli together. I must keep them apart for 400 pages. I don't know. It feels like he's purposely writing them to keep them apart. But Eli Vanto is a good boy. Pick and Waffle are great. I love the bitch fight between Krennic and um, 
and Tarkin. And then the other best part of this book, there's a character named Ronan. He is director critics, uh, like co-director, like his like underling. And you find out that anybody who works for a director critic is required to wear a cape in their on their uniform. So you always know that they work for a critic. And Ronan, because Timothy Zahn is terrible at physical descriptions, the only thing we know about Ronan is he wears a cape. So he's just a sentient cape walking around the fucking book. And he uses this cape as a weapon, and it's great. Like, he throws this cape at a person and distracts them while the death troopers, like, shoot people. It's great. Ronan's a great character, except for he's a sentient cape. That's, oh, and then and then finally at the end, I was getting to the end. Those are the four best parts of Throne Trees. And also, Arlani is great because she's she can step on me. Anyway, um, so we get to the end of the book, and Palpatine's like, I see you helped your people again. And Thrawn was like, uh, well, we were all trying to stop the Grisk from stealing your Death Star, sir. And Palpatine's like, well, that makes sense. By the way, do you see this big rock tomb thing here? And he points to, like, the tomb that's in the Rebels finale that Palpatine uses to tempt Ezra. And, and Thrawn's like, yeah, what is that thing? And he's like, just put this on your ship and hold on to it for me, can ya? And Thrawn's like... Okay, so he takes a big rock tomb, sticks it on the Chimera, so when we get to the finale, we know where that came from and why it's on the Chimera. That's the point of Thrawn Treason. It sucked. <laughs> it's just bad. Uh, Sounds like a spine-tingling adventure. I think what makes me the most upset, the two things that make me the most upset, number one is the way they promoted the book isn't actually the plot of the book. So when I realized that, I felt completely lied to. I can to. see why. Yeah, I felt like I was flat out lied to during the entire promotional thing. Because it wasn't, what, what you read on the back of the book is not the actual plot of the book. Number two, there's no treason <laughs> on Thrawn's part. And when we had 2015 Thrawn and we have this huge bombshell that he's in the Empire either to build it up as an ally or destroy it from within, that feels like that should be the point of Thrawn Treason, is that main important plot point coming up again, where it's revealed or something that he's there to either help the Empire or destroy it, and he has to make that choice in that moment to go, do I help my like do i do this and what what is my what is my point of no return uh do i go forward with the empire or do i bow out that feels like it should be the plot of thrawn treason but it's not it's about thrawn getting rid of fucking rats for krennic and then capturing savit because he's teaming up with some from some gris trying to steal the death star for 400 fucking pages and then at the end palpatine's just like Here's a rock tomb. Put it on your ship so I can trick Ezra Bridger. Thanks. <sighs> I'm damn done. <sighs> All right, so I'll skip that one. I guess. It makes me mad. Ugh. And here's the thing. If you like Thrawn Treason, awesome. I have a lot of friends who really loved this book, and I'm happy for you. And you can love it twice as much for me, and I will hate it four times as much for you. Ugh. You want to talk about Doom? 
Let's do it. So now we are all caught up with all the extra materials. And when we, when we get to the finale, you know where Thrawn got that rock thing from. It's it's funny. I don't have I, I have the, the I have a good amount of notes in the third part, but the first two parts didn't have a lot of notes for. Almost all my notes are in the as in part one. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, part one was like nine minutes long. Yeah, it was long. It, it was long. But it felt short. Yeah, I was. That's true. I mean, I I was so I was very engaged in this episode, because when we came to the first thing, I was like, oh, I'm like, how far through are we? I thought it was a short one, and then I looked through it. I'm like, oh my god, you know, we're like a, more than way more than a third of the way through, you know. So yeah. yeah. I it's interesting. I like this episode a lot more in a lot of ways. It's interesting because this is my first time I've watched it all the way through since it's aired. And, well, I'll, I'll get into more, but uh, there are parts of this episode I liked a lot more than I did the first time I watched it. And then there are other parts of it, mostly the beginning, which watching it on its own without watching Jedi Knight right beforehand. Because when this aired, it was Jedi Knight, credits, a 20-second Disney commercial, and then this episode. Yeah, so it's like da 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 da. I remember this episode being very like reflective and just like a like everybody processing their grief on Kanan, and it was not at all like I. It was it had it was like a, a fairly act filled with action episode. So it was weird. It ha, probably watching the two of them together did give it a completely different feel and I, I I remembered it completely differently. Same same here. Like I felt like Hera was in this episode way more and she's only in the the opening and the close. Yeah, she's and, and I and I remember just being like, doesn't Hera have a scene in the middle of the episode? And she doesn't. Which I forgot. <laughs> so it's very interesting revisiting this episode again. Um because it it's definitely different. But let's get into it. You ready? All right. <clears throat> Doom is the 70th episode of Star Wars Rebels and it was released on February 19th, 2018. It is written by Dave Filoni and Christopher Yost and it was directed by Sergio Pais. Some extra information for you. Guys, this was hilarious and I still don't understand it. On Wikipedia, in the cast listing for this episode, it says that the, vo- the Force is voiced by Doom, the Lothwolf. And so when I went on to IMDb, there is no voice actor listed as voicing Doom. And I was just like, okay. (laughs) It's got to be Freddie Prince Jr. I could almost hear a little Freddie Prince Jr. in there. I was wondering that too. Because this time the the wolves were regular chatty Cathy's in this episode. So I I was wondering that myself. I was like, if I were doing this, I would have like Freddie Prince do this with like some heavy, you know, you know, digital manipulation to his voice. But just like because you could almost hear it. But then again, I was thinking about that. So I might have been wanting to hear it. So I don't know. And and I and I was wondering about that, too, because I was like, I can because I was definitely watching Jim's facial reactions and some of his facial reactions were very Kanan. Like, Ezra would say something snippy, and, like, he would just get this look of, like, kid, come on! <laughs> like, something that, like, a very Kanan reaction. So I don't know if I was just 
projecting like Freddy's voice into Doom as well. Um, but as of right now, it just says the force is voiced by Doom. <laughs> Doom the Lothwolf. And then I wrote a joke on Twitter that was like, I hope the force is getting royalties for this voice appearance. <laughs> I just spat all over my computer. There we go. Anyway, moving on. The original title for this episode was Ascension Part 2. Part 1 was last week. The shot of Rook looking back at Zeb through the binocs is a nod to the movie Rear Window. The marking on Doom the Lothwolf's head uh, is the same marking that Kanan wore on his shoulder armor in earlier seasons. Doom is also the uh, Kanan's birth name, Caleb Doom, just as a reminder. The Rebels recon for this episode, they discuss how they wanted to give the audience time to mourn Kanan along with the ghost crew. They talked about how each member of the ghost crew mourns. They wanted to show different kinds of grief, but still keep it in their characters. But to the, uh, but they also wanted to, where I lost my spot. Uh, uh, but they also wanted to have different types of grief to give the audience different ch chances to connect with the characters as well. Zeb and Sabine deal with the loss through anger and action, wanting to lash out. Hera feels loss and guilt. Kanan had always been her balance point in leading. She also succumbs, uh, she also feels, I keep losing my spot. She also feels responsible because she, he, she was the reason he joined the rebellion in the first place. Ezra succumbs to his fear, which is something he struggled with throughout the show. But Kanan was always there to help him overcome fear. Ezra thinks that his Jedi powers and abilities are tied to Kanan, which makes him think that he can't be a Jedi without his master. Ezra takes more of a self-pitying route and makes it more about himself. But with the characters reflecting on the loss of Kanan, they get to reflect on what they're fighting for. This helps them realign their own values to look again at what they want to accomplish. They don't want Kanan's sacrifice to be in vain, so they all recommit to the cause to see it through to the end. You also know who else sees things through to the end? Oh, all the way through the end. Mm. Oh, how you doing, Yoda? Good. You having a good week so far? Yoda's been very regular lately. Uh. It matters <laughs> a lot when when 800 years old. It matters a lot. A uh. lot. I'm sure it does. Well, I got a question for you, Yoda. Mm. Uh, Yoda attributes his good luck to um, happy, happy hot bran flakes. Mm. Space bran flakes. Mm. I'm so sorry. When you said bran flakes, happy hot bran flakes, the first thing I thought of was just dried skin flaking off a of Jabba and eating mm. it in a Delicious. Delicious. Oh. Oh, I think I'm going to throw up a little bit. Knock it, don't you, until tried it, you have. Oh, eating Jabba skin? Gross. Mm -hmm. Not even Diego Luna likes that kind of texture. Mm, different strokes for different folks. If you don't know what I'm talking about, guys, look up Diego Luna, Jabba the Hutt on YouTube. Have fun. <laughs> Enjoy. Anyway, I got a question for you, Yoda. Oh, a question for Yoda, yes. So, it's 2020, and here in America, where me and Chris live, it's an election year. Since mm, there is politics. no since there is no more Jedi Order, would you ever run for president? I mean, for the Emperor of the Galaxy, and if uh, so, what's your platform? 
Yoda for Emperor, yes! Yoda's platform is little round flying saucer floating platform. Mm. No, I mean... What? what? <laughs> <laughs> I just realized what you did. Easy question, that was. Yes. <laughs> That's a very good platform, Yoda! Yeah! <laughs> Wibble wobble. Well, you got my vote for that. <laughs> Sorry, it caught me so off guard. <laughs> Politics are not funny. Very serious. That was a, that was a great aid pun there, Chris Honeywell. That was a good pun. <laughs> good job. I'm sorry, Yoda. Go on. Uh, then what, what are some of the issues you believe in? Mm. Yoda says, legalize everything. Leave it there a little bit, Mabel Pines. Everything. <laughs> well, you have my vote, Yoda. Mm. No, it must be 700 years old to vote in, in Jedi election. Oh my god, to get on the Jedi Council, do you have to have elections? Mm, yes, yes. What was Obi-Wan's uh, platform like? Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris, I sprung that one on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes. I guess he slept through the, uh, really? the, the base. Jeez. Yeah, he wasn't having that. <laughs> I think Yoda's done with politics. I think Yoda had his fill of politics, to be honest. Oh my god, you caught me so off guard with the platform pun. That was hilarious. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I was expecting something like, I'm going to run for ladies wearing less clothes or something dumb. <laughs> you completely caught me off guard. It was hilarious. Well, I'm glad you were expecting dumb. Hope that means a lot. It's our dirty Yoda bit. I'm not expecting much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't expect any, like much of anything. The bar is on the it's ground. Best. It's best to do that, yes. <laughs> the bar is on the ground, maybe a little bit in the dirt. <laughs> you need so. a metal detector to find the bar. Absolutely. So. <laughs> uh, hold on, I need a, my... My sinuses are just a mess today. Ah, 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 ah. Okay. I think I, I, I just read, oh, smeared snot on my face. All right. You ready for Act One? Oh, I'm ready. All right. <clears throat> Act One. As a tiny sad recap from last week, Kanan died saving his space family. And bitch wife Ari Price is, in fact, a bitch. On to this week. We open with the destruction of the fuel depot, where bitch wife is trying to admire her handiwork. But she's worried. She has fucked up Thrawn's project. The rebels have escaped. The only thing that would probably help her keep her job is that Kanan died in the process. So like any good Imperial, Arinda decides to Throw a parade to celebrate his death. And her men are really confused by this method. And then we go back to our heroes, arriving back at camp. 
Zeb, oh, this might break my heart. Zeb is waving at them, and he looks so happy and hopeful. And I'm gonna cry because he's just like, "Hi, everyone, welcome home. I'm Zeb. I'm the best." And they land the ship, and Sabine throws her helmet. Zeb is confused as he sees Hera wander off, looking despondent. And Ezra stumbles over to him. Ezra tells him that Kanan is gone. Zeb pulls Ezra into a huge hug, and I, I wrote Zeb pulls Ezra into a huge, a huge. Zeb pulls Ezra oh, into a that could go really bad. <laughs> Zeb pulls Ezra into a hug, while Chopper rolls out to Hera and holds her hand. They all return to their camp, where Ryder and not Zuko Jaikel are listening to Imperial propaganda on the radio. The broadcast claims that the rebel insurgency is destroyed along with their leadership. Sabine demands that they turn off the radio. Ryder says that they need to contact Rebel Command. Wow! I wrote Rebel Command. I did not prove this route today, guys. It's one of those episodes. Here we go. But Ezra's like, you know, Rebel Command and Long Nekma and Baby Daddy Bill Organa, they're not going to come help us. They're going to think that we already lost. Ryder turns to Hera for a plan, but Hera is, understandably, not in any place to give commands to order. Ryder points out that they don't have time for this sadness crap, but they ha- because they have a war to fight. While Sabine is full of teenage rage, she wants to blow something up, and Zeb is all for this and joins her. Not Zuko, Ryder, and Iron Mart all turns to Ezra. Uh, I'm, gonna try, I'm trying out Iron Mart for Iron Squadron Mart. Um, Iron Mart good? I don't know. Quickie, quickie Mart? I don't know. We'll see. We'll play. Uh, so they all turn to Ezra, who has no Ez- uh, who has no Ezra's, who has no answers to give at the moment. It looks like the rebellion on Lothal is over. After a change of clothes, Ezra sits out into the grass of Lothal, and he's a sad blueberry. He says that Kanan didn't prepare him for losing his master, which is something that our guest Candace pointed out to us last week, that this line was hinted in Kanan's vision before his death last week. So thanks again, Candace. Guys, go check out Geeky Girl Gab Podcast. She was a really great guest. Anyway, as Ezra is sad and a blueberry, the Lothwolves start growling at him like, Hey! 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 And Ezra's like, Hey, fuzzy friends, I guess you heard about Kanan. But the Lothwolves are not happy as they bark and growl and snap at Ezra going, Doom! Doom! And they start chasing Ezra into the plains. And Ezra's like, Ah, what the hell? I'm on your side. I don't need this right now. Ah." Okay, I'm going to walk back to my computer. That was me getting chased by Waffle Wolves. Alright, anyway, we're worrying. Finally, Ezra stops as they surround him, and he loses sight of the wolves. For a moment, he looks panicky. Another moment, he looks like he's starting to connect to the force, and the wolves start to calm. The fear takes over, and Ezra runs again. And the wolves are like, Ugh, that's not what we want! And they chase Ezra and knock him out. Back with the bad guys. Uh, (laughs) Wolf growling makes my throat hurt. Ah, that act one was nine minutes, you guys. This is a long one. (laughs) 
back with the bad guys, Thrawn is calling Ari for an explanation of what happened. Rook kicks in the door, pops out his lawn chair, grabs a bucket of popcorn, and Rook kicks back to watch the shit show. Because Thrawn is pissed. Ari is like, but Thrawn, look, I killed Kane and Jairus. Here's his lightsaber. And Thrawn is like, shut up. You don't know what I've been dealing with. I had to put up with Krennic and Tarkin being bitches to each other. And they're trying to steal money from my TIE Defender project. And just when I fucking fixed their rap problem, and I captured Grand Admiral Savit, and I stopped an invasion, I was just about to beat them at their fucking game, and you destroyed my project! What the hell? What the actual heckin' heck, Arinda? I'm lost because of you! Oh my god, I give you one fucking job not to fuck up while you're gone, and what do you do? And Arinda hangs her head going, I fucked up. Thrawn's like, yeah, yeah, and then you held a parade to hide your fuck up. Oh my god, I can't deal with you right now. Rook, Rook, I need help. And Rook has finished up his popcorn and pops up. Thrawn tells him to hunt down the rest of the rebels. Without Kanan, they'll all be sad and not ready to fight right away. And he hangs up on them. And Rook, being amazing, gives Ari a little smirk and says, Hey, remember last few episodes when I kept telling you that you need to let me do my job, but you insisted that you had to play war? I told you so. And he leaves. And then we go back to Hera, who is in the cave where, he- where Kanan cut his hair. In fact, his hair, his knife, and his mask are still on the little table thing. And my god, does Vanessa Marshall act the crap out of this scene. Hera blames herself for everything because Kanan didn't even want to fight in this war. She hates that she waited so long to tell him how she felt. Chopper points out her Kalakori and offers her some advice. And she likes his idea. End of Act 1! <laughs> ah. What'd you think of Act 1? A lot of stuff happened in it. Yeah? <laughs> I have a lot of notes. I I I kind of liked the the uh, I'm gonna have problems with the wolves la- later on, but I kind of liked them in this one. I thought like like, like do you like them? Part. Do you, do you mean that you like them in this act and you'll have problems in Act Three, or you like yes, them in this episode? Yes. In this in this act, and then later on, I have problems with them. I like I have the opposite. Whoa. See, I I I like that the I I. You know, you know, I've been like the last four, three or four episodes. I'm like, yeah, the wolves are having conversations with Kanan and stuff like that. But I like the sort of just sort of hinted at mystical aspect of them. And that's going good in, in this one there. As a matter of fact, they've got kind of a hostile edge to them like Bendu. You know, they're sort of tough, loving uh, Ezra in it and like scaring him and running him ahead. And then just like, you know. Cause, cause they'll chase him, but then they'll run past him, and just sort of, just sort of nudging him to where they had to get him. And I like that where it's just sort of things happen. They're communicating like that, and it gets more um, explicit in the in the 
later on, and I don't like it that explicit. See, like I've had my own problems with, which is kind of the opposite of what you've been having, which is they're almost too mystical and not concrete enough, and I'm still confused as hell to what Doom actually is. But I like the point that, like, like finally, at least it's something a little bit more concrete. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of okay with with not knowing an awful lot of what's going on, you know, I'm or maybe okay even never. You, but they're as I've said before, they're a little too mystical. They just need yeah. something to like hold them down. Just something, just some little tiny thing. And Doom was that little tiny thing that I went, ha ha. Yeah, that's but that's all I really. That's all. That was my big uh, takeaway from from uh, Act One. I wanted to touch on something that our guest Candice brought up last week. And she had said that she talked about her headcanon when Hera says the line, why did I wait so long to tell him? Her headcanon was she she didn't either like she waited so long to tell Kenan that she was pregnant and that she didn't tell him or she told him very close to right right before. And I, I was thinking about that, and I can definitely... I, I was watching that scene with Hera with that kind of inside of, like, is she talking about her being pregnant or her feelings? And I can see both ways. I see what Candace was getting at. Well, we we never see her tell him she's pregnant, but, like, we, I kind of assume that she did. Yeah, yeah I kind of assume that she would have. Yeah. So, um... Candice, if you're listening, I totally get what you were saying. I because I can see that. My next note is I love the opening scene with Arinda. I love it because her reaction to throwing a parade is the most imperial response ever. <laughs> it's so good. But what I really loved about that scene too is you're really starting to see Arinda's cracks because um, she she knows she's fucked up. She knows yeah. that she's uh, messed up. And, like, before her person, like, comes up to talk to her and be like, hey, Kanan's dead, she's breathing very heavily. And, like, um, Mary Elizabeth, oh, Mary Elizabeth, what's your last name? The woman who voices Arinda, like, uh, she does some really good breathing voice work there because Arinda is just, like, very panicking. And even between her words, she's breathing very heavily. And you can tell that there's a lot of anxiety in that scene, and she is scared. Yeah, so the, she's in going into desperation um, damage control mode. <laughs> yeah. So while it's a funny moment when she's just like, we'll throw a parade, it's it's definitely a move to cover her ass to buy it's her more time. Probably a move more to save her life. <laughs> yeah. So I actually really love that scene. It's very subtle. Um, it's because I don't think I would have caught her heavy breathing if I wasn't wearing headphones because it's so subtle. I, I, I don't think I would have heard it if I didn't have headphones in. Um, but I really liked that scene. Um, <laughs> I, I started thinking back to this episode when I watched it the first time and kind of like my thought process of what I was thinking about as it was unfurling. And so we, the first time we watched it, of course, I had Jedi Knight right in front of it. So I was in shock after Kanan died. And I was in shock all through the credits. And I was in shock in the little Disney Channel logo. Where it's just like, hi, we're Austin and Allie. Dun, 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 Disney. And then we have this opening scene with Arinda. 
But the moment I remember that I finally, like, the shock wore off and I just started bawling my eyes out was right about the time that Chopper took Hera's hand. And still, like, that is the point of this episode that gets me very emotional. Like, I start feeling it when... getting all emotional over AI, too. I know, but... But I think it's because it is Chopper. Because Chopper is a little shit. He's an is asshole. He, is he one of the good ones, Hope? Oh, yeah, yeah. Chopper's definitely one of the good ones. But the thing is, it's it's because it's Chopper. Because Chopper's an asshole. He's a murder bot. He's probably, he's taken more lives than probably the rest of the ghost crew combined. But to see Chopper, who's a known asshole, have that quiet moment. And his very first reaction is to go straight to Hera. Like, he recognizes immediately that something is wrong, and the moment he sees her, he rolls out to her, he doesn't hesitate, and he goes out and he takes her hand. Like, that's such a good moment for him. And that, and to see, like, Zeb hugging Ezra, like, that's, that's the moment that I remember that I lost it. And I had to pause the episode, because I was crying so hard. I wasn't comprehending anything else. And, yeah, so, like, Sitting now watching it by itself, not having Jedi Knight, it still it doesn't have the strong impact that it does, did that first time I watched it, but I still feel that. There's still that one moment with the chopper that just gets me. And, ugh, ugh, so good. And just a little side note of just that moment with Zeb is walking out to them, and he looks so happy, and he's waving at them. And then when he sees Sabine, like, he just sinks into confusion of, like, what is happening? And then when Ezra tells him, like, you see Zeb's, like, visceral reaction. Because if it was any other mission, he would have been there. He would have been with them if it was any other mission. And it's kind of like, Zeb, Zeb kind of has this weird role of being, like, the uncle of the group. He's in, Or, like, he's in this weird, like, big brother uncle side. And you see that moment where he kind of like takes it upon himself. He's like, I'm here for Ezra now. And he takes that uncle role. And I can't recall a time that we've ever seen Zeb hug anybody and show that kind of emotion. And he just pulls Ezra into his arms. Well, I, and I think Zeb needed a hug too. So. Oh, oh yeah. I, I didn't include it because um, it was part of Rebels Recon for last week. Um, but they had Steve Bloom talking about Zeb's reaction to Kanan's death. And Steve Bloom is Zeb's voice actor. And he was saying that while Zeb is probably, of course, angry and sad and hurt, um, more than anything, Zeb is an honorable warrior. And knowing that Kanan, like once he finds out that Kanan went out in a very honorable warrior way, that is something that puts Zeb at peace. Because that's something that that is in Zeb's realm of respect. That's something that he really respects in people is when they're honorable, and like it's that part that helps Zeb move on. And I was like, "Oh, Steve Bloom, you're making me cry. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't." Um, my next note is, I just think it's so. I, I you guys know I I love whenever we see imperial propaganda in the show. It's something that they do so well, and they've been doing it so well since season one. But it's such a smart move that they ha are playing imperial propaganda 
to the citizens of Lothal, and they have Alton Castle, Alton Castle, who is the radio propaganda guy, the news guy, and he's talking to the people of Lothal, and he's talking about how the rebels' insurgency is over. Because it got me thinking that a few episodes ago, we saw during Rebel Assault that the citizens of Lothal are trying to aid the rebels in secret. They can't aid them openly because there's still so much fear. And we see them, like, secretly helping Hera out of her X-Wing and telling her how to get out of town, but they're not going to actively help her. So it's such a smart move to have it on the radio um, that the rebels are dead and gone because it's going to make it so much harder for the citizens to stand up to them and fight back. And it probably just crushed any sense of hope that the Lothal people felt. And that was probably Arinda's idea. It, yeah. it helped save her ass. But I love that that smart propaganda play by the Empire. And it's like a 20-second scene of that. It's, it's, so it's good. sort of smart, but it's, it's short-term because they didn't get the Rebels. So it's like... It's oh, like yeah. It's gonna it's gonna help for a little while, but once you, once people find out that they didn't get the rebels, then it subverts itself because then they go, oh, the empire's lying because they're desperate and exactly, and the rebels are still alive. So it, it's 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 smart in the short term, but in the long game, it's uh it's it's not a bad idea because it's damage control. You're just trying to help whatever you can, but it ain't gonna help them as soon as people figure out the rebels are still alive and. It, Exactly, um, which makes it doubly. It, it makes it smart uh, in the imperial side of doing damage control, but in the overall story, as like the creators, that's it's a smart their downfall. The, yeah, that's part of their downfall, which is the nice part of yep. what the creators are doing. So, I liked that. Um, and my only other note is I like seeing the payoff from all the season three and season four political episodes up to this point, because writers like let's call Rebel Command, but. Well. Now's the time out, for it if you're going to be doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ezra flat out says, like, Mon Mothma and everybody on y- uh, Yavin, they're not coming for us. We're done. This was our one chance. Yeah. We're on our own. And if it wasn't for all the groundwork from all the sh- episodes in season three and season four, then this would have fallen, this moment would have fallen really flat. But we've had all that groundwork where we're just like, yeah, they're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> they're on they're the not road. Coming. Yeah. So that was a that was a really nice kind of callback to all the rebel political episodes from the last two seasons. So I really liked that a lot. But that's all I have for Act One. All right, Act Two. Act Two. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm so snotty. I know you're gonna have to like edit all this out. <clears throat> all right, Act Two. Sabine and Zeb are gazing at the parade in the distance in the capital. Sabine is growing more disheartened because it looks like the Empire's numbers are growing more and more. But Zeb points out something weird, and it's a very important thing. The factories are all shut down, which is weird because the Empire never stops working. Also, Zeb doesn't point this out, it's just something I notice. Also, it's sunset. I note that it's sunset because Ezra wakes up in the middle of the night in the middle of a field. When we go back to the next scene, it will be sunset again. So we know that there's some tom, some forced tomfoolery that's going on with Ezra because it's sunset with Sabine and, and, and Zeb and it's the middle of the night for Ezra. Anyway, he doesn't see the wolves and decides to go back to base. Back in Twilight Town, 
Zeb gets to take out some of his grief by punching out a biker scout. Sabine hacks into the bike and pulls up that all the TIE Defender factories are completely shut down. And they see right through Price's parade ruse, realizing that Kanan completed their mission in his sacrifice. But St Sabine still wants to get even. After they leave, Rook catches up and is sniffing the very confused biker scout trying to get their scent. As two other stormtroopers are checking out the tampered bike, it explodes on them! Nearby, Sabine and Zeb watch their handiwork. They both see Rook for the first time, and they're like, EW! GROSS! WHAT IS THAT THING?! Um, excuse you two, I know he's a villain, but you can't just be rude like that. Rook's a person. Rook sees them, which freaks out Zeb! He doesn't want to look back at Rook. That Nogri creeps out that Losat. But Zeb gets a plan, and he wants to get- he wants to even the score, which may or may not involve murdering Rook? They might be down for murder at this point. And Sabine is down for murder. And they head out to let Rook track him. We switch back to the Force world with Ezra, who is like, How am I lost in the middle of nowhere? I swear we put a base around here. Somewhere. He finally sits down at the base of one of the rock spire thingies, and he falls asleep. After an unknown time catching some Zs, a big honking wolf nose sniffs him and wakes him up. Ezra stumbles back, seeing a huge, and I mean huge, Lothwolf with Kanan's blue eyes and Kanan's mark on its head. And the Lothwolf smiles and goes, Hey kid, I am Doom. I'm the cosmic form. I'm the cosmic force manifestation of Kanan Jarrus' will as a giant wolf. Isn't that neat? At least that's what Wikipedia said. How's it hanging? Oh, and also, kid, I need your help. What'd you think of Act 2? Which was the shortest act. <laughs> I only had one note. And mm. I can't, I think it was Ezra who said somebody was, when they were messing around with the, the, something, and they were hacking into something, he goes, that I'm in, which is like. Sabine. Sabine. It's the oldest line of like, that's the hackest hacker line ever. I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's about all. Like that's all I I really had for this. This is all like set up for the the next one. For all the all the the payoff in this, there's. I will say I never noticed it before, which is why I noted in the recap that I like that they kept Sabine and Zeb and like the twilight in the sun setting, but with Ezra, you can tell he's in this like very forced world because it's very. It's it's almost world between worlds. It's a little surreal, is, yeah. It's everything surreal. There's stars. At one point, I think it's right before Doom comes, but the other wolves are around him. In the background, it looks like it's just a nebula swirling through the sky, like every like the. And I think it's supposed to be like insinuated that it's clouds, but everything's very circular. Um, they're very like big rings moving through the sky. And then you go back to Zeb and Sabine, and they're back in the sunset again. So it's clear that these are two very different worlds happening yeah. right now. And I, I liked that. I never noticed it before until this, this watch through. I love Zeb's line of, ah, it looked at me. <laughs> when he sees Rook, it's so funny. He's just like, ah, it looked at me. It's creepy and gross, Sabine. I don't like it. I love that, like, 
Zeb, this big warrior guy, is creeped out by Rook of all things. I'd be creeped out by Rook, too. He's pretty creepy. He's very creepy. They actually designed him to be very cre- creepy. Um, I remember watching the Rebels. He literally recon. creeps around, so there you go. Yeah. I remember watching the Rebels recon that, like, the one thing that they had to keep changing in Rook's design was his nose. Because uh, it was originally white, but it gave him this, like, cute button nose effect. So Dave Filoni was like, nah, put it dark, make it darker. And they kept having to go back and darken Rook's nose until it wasn't, like, a cute button nose anymore. <laughs> so I was like, oh. But I, I love that. I love that Zeb was creeped out by them. And it kind of sets up this, like, tiny, like, mini storyline because... We know that Zeb is the one that takes out Rook in the finale, so it's that kind of like setup of like Lissat versus Nogri for the finale. So it's it's just like a nice little tiny setup. Um. Oh, so I remember the first time I watched this episode, I actually did not like Zeb and Sabine's story, um, because I felt that it was too. I think it was because I was so upset over Kanan, the fact that they were on this fun adventure romp that's actually quite funny that like I wasn't ready for that as a as a viewer and I was like why are you guys laughing and having fun when Kanan's dead but now on a second view viewing I really like this because it adds much needed levity to the episode because if they weren't out on an adventure romp and it was just like a they'd be moping around huh they just it would be a whole episode of moping around. Yeah, and it would be so heavy and emotional. And at the end of the day, this is a young adult show. It it, it doesn't need to have like have every member of the ghost crew uh be moping around for twenty two minutes. But also it's very much their characters. Zeb and Sabine are not mope around people. We saw during Trial of the Darksaber, even when she was facing her past. Sabine had a fucking sword in her hand and was beating down Kanan. <laughs> and they're they're in grief and they're giving themselves something to do to 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 take out their anger and to distract them. Which we'll see in Act Three. Yep. <laughs> um, but I also kind of forgot about the storyline where they're just like, "Yeah, we're we're down for murdering Rook. Let's do this." Yeah, in this who wouldn't show. be? Yeah. Huh? They've murdered plenty of stormtroopers. Why not murder Rook? They've murdered plenty of people. But it's different when it's a faceless, maskless person and then a named okay. character. Okay, you just keep telling yourself that. No, no, All no Chris, Chris, Chris. I Chris. know. I know what you yeah. mean. I'm just being a jerk. I know you're just being a jerk, but, like, it, there is, like, because, like, we, it's a named face character versus, like, a maskless stormtrooper, <laughs> which... Yeah. I want him to kill him more because I don't like him even more. He's yeah. got more of an unlikable personality <laughs> than an average stormtrooper. But it's like the equivalent of killing a droid in Clone Wars, you know? And, and, and Rook, is there, Rook is there to mess people up. A lot of those stormtroopers are just conscripts. Mm-hmm. Who knows what their backstory is? Rook's backstory is he's a jerk face. Yeah, but actually... Last time we had Rook, uh, you were saying that you didn't feel like he he was as creepy as he was in his first appearance. He he, he didn't have as no he did not have as much th- and and that carried into this episode. He didn't feel like as much of a threat. Still, doesn't mean I don't f- feel that he's still not worth killing. <laughs> That's not what <laughs> doesn't I'm, make I'm not, me like him anymore. <laughs> I'm just not I'm a scared. I was just more I'm wondering. I'm not scared if, of you, Rook. 
not I was just wondering scare you if, anymore. I was just wondering if, if you felt that he was more creepy. Because I felt like he was much more threatening this episode. It was, I don't know, like the whole thing with Zeb, like it played off as a comedy thing to me because Zeb has always been, um, Zeb has been, a, so, uh, uh, there's always been jokes about Lasats are kind of stinky and, and, and it's been like building up to where <laughs> Rook catches the stinkiest members sent, you know, and there, the, he like smell, there's what, what they, where you could tell he smells like. Zabot on something and gets a scent and it is probably just like woo Lasat <laughs> this is gonna be easy <laughs> so that almost played out like a little bit of a comedy beat I do like how he was creeping at the stormtrooper the biker trooper and like he was just sniffing the guy and the guy's like why are you sniffing me yeah. but I'm also trying to explain why I got punched <laughs> that was fun but I don't know I, I felt like Rook was much more of a threat this episode um oh. Than, than he was last time so but that's all i had for act two all right you ready to finish this uh, puppy off this big gigundus puppy yes i will say that um because it kept cutting back between zeb and sabine and ezra i just met, put all their stories you just sort of yeah yeah so that way it wouldn't have to keep jumping back and forth so um all right <clears throat> act three so rook is tracking the rebels and he stops when he sees Zeb waiting for him, like a glorious Lasat warrior. And the two warriors from warrior races square off against each other in a warrior fight. And they pull out their weapons and they start duking it out. Sabine, who totally has the element of surprise and could have just sniped Rook, decides that this is a kid's show and jumps out of nowhere to help ambush him, totally blowing her her secret cover but rook has his own trick up his sleeve and has invisibility technology which i will say is hilarious in the novel thrawn trees uh, thrawn alliances because in thrawn alliances rook likes to jump out and scare people because he's invisible and everyone's like rook stop scaring us and he's like hey, i'm in the vents so it's great the heroes try to fight the invisible foe but rook is pretty skilled and keeps them on their toes Sabine then comes up with a really good plan. When she's able to get a good grip on Rook, she puts one of her paint bombs on him. It explodes, covering Rook in paint. So now they can both see him. And Zeb gets Rook pinned down. And Zeb just starts wailing on the Nogri. And Zeb is letting all of his anger and grief out on Rook. And he is about to kill him. And this horrifies Sabine, who realizes... You know, murder revenge is not that great after all. And she stops Zeb and decides that they will get even in a different way. They paint Rook to look like a clown, stick his unconscious butt back on his speeder, and sets the speeder out into the night for the other Imperials to find. Back with the wolf clan, Ezra's like, Kanan, you're a wolf now? Or something? I'm really confused, but I don't know what to do without you. You were brave and wise and made corny dad jokes and you made the best space waffles and I don't know what to do without you and I'm really scared because you're like the third parent figure that died on me and I don't know how to Jedi. How do I Jedi, Kanan? And I, and I don't know. And Doom cuts in like, whoa, 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 Doom here, whoa. Fear, 
Yeah, I see that you have fear, but no one's got time for that. You're not alone because you have your space family and you need to fight together. Here, I have a present for you. Wolf servants, bring the present. And the white loth wolf drops the Lothal keystone at Ezra's feet. And Ezra's like, gee, thanks space dad, I guess. You were always terrible at giving presents at Space Christmas. And Doom explains that it's from the Jedi Temple on Lothal. And Ezra's like, oh yeah, the Jedi Temple. You know, last time we were there, we led two Inquisitors and Darth Vader right to the temple. On accident, of course. Our host Hope was very happy in that episode because she got to see her grande boyfriend one last time. But that was like... Two whole seasons ago! Why are you bringing this up now, Wolf Dad? I'm sure that the Jedi Temple's fine in the Empire's hands. And Doom looks at the camera like it's an episode of The Office, before explaining that the Temple is in danger, and there's great knowledge in there. A.K.A. he needs Ezra to stop Palpatine from entering the world between worlds. But Ezra keeps making excuses, and he's asking a lot of questions. So Space Wolf Space Dad is like, Oh yeah, I'm a wolf now. Howp! And he lunges like he's gonna eat Ezra. Ezra snaps awake and he sees that it's all a dream. But the big Lothal Keystone is still there waiting for him. We go back to Hera and Chopper. She's made and added a piece for Kanan onto her family's Calicori. So he'll always be remembered as her space husband and the father of her child. She takes a breath says a few words, and stands up to return to the world once more. Zeb and Sabine arrive back at camp, and they tell Hera that Kanan's death was not in vain. There's no more working factories on Lothal. And for the first time in the episode, Hera smiles, if only for a little bit. And then Ezra arrives back, holding a big old fucking stone, and he has their first mission. They have to save the Jedi Temple. The end! What'd you think of Act 3? It was pretty good. This is where my problems come in. I'll get to I'll, I'll, I'm interested to hear this. Well, I'll just get to the stuff I that the, my shallow notes first is I like Rook's Predator get up. It's a nice mm-hmm. little 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 nod to Predator. Um the that Jedi stone looks a lot like it looks like instructions on playing rock, paper, scissors. I thought that too the if first time I saw it. this episode. <laughs> that was my first thought when I, I like two years ago. And Thrawn was totally wrong about about the rebels making a rash move in retaliation. They 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 totally stopped themselves from doing that. They almost did, but they didn't. Yeah. Um. Yeah. My my big problem is those wolves are taught were talking too much. It was, it was. It was a single wolf, the leader of the wolves. Yeah, he was talking to. There were too many words being said. Like, like one, like when they say one word or two, a word every now and then, it's like you know they use great effort. And since they're in wolf bodies, wolves don't really have the vocal cords to say something. So it's just like this. W- effort to get one word out but this was like Ezra asked a question they they answer it verbally you know I would have rather it had been some sort of like vision or something something like that you know 
Um, yeah, it was it was just a little too on the on the nose. You know, I mean, they didn't have much time, but they could have they could have cut down the scenes of the Lothwolves running Ezra and stuff. And I, I don't know. I would have rather it had it been a little less spelled out than it was. I, I, I do see what you're saying. And I think it would have bothered me if the white Lothwolf that we've had so far all season, if he was the one that was just like, I can talk now. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, I guess it didn't bother me because it was the leader of the Lothwolves and it's supposed to be like the cosmic force talking to him. Um, and as I was saying in Act 2, it was just that nice little last piece of like concreteness that I needed personally mm-hmm. to like the Lothwolves. But I, it didn't bother me because it was their leader. It, it probably would have bugged me if it was the white Lothwolf who was suddenly very eloquent in his conversation, you know? I would have, just, yeah, I, I just would have rather have them done it a little more symbolically. Personally. I get that. I think it would have been cool if they had, like, this whole, like, animated scene, too. Yeah. I, I, I can see what you're saying. But that's all I really got. I mean, they've had plenty of, like, Ezra's known for having visions, so. And with with uh, being friends with the animals, so it would have, it would have been a nice mixture of those two, two elements to have both those going on at once. Did who? I might be misremembering this, so if I'm wrong, um, I'm saying it now. But on that point, I I'm pretty sure you're right because I feel like the first time we saw the white Lothcat was in a vision of his parents. Yeah, he's always he's always having visions and intuitions and stuff, and he has a connection with animals. So this seemed like it would be the just like, you know, the confluence of those things. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Don't That's fully all I agree. Had. Yeah, don't fully agree, but I do, do totally get what you're saying. Um, I I started to think of, you know, of course, in Act 2, we're like, are they going to murder Rook? Yeah, and I knew they weren't going to. Well, but, but just that insinuation. And then it's kind of terrifying to see Zeb just losing his temper because I actually thought, I'm glad I brought up the whole Steve Bloom thing last act, because Zeb is an honorable warrior. And the way that he was just losing his temper and punching the shit out of Rook and just, like, letting his anger get the best of him, that's a scary, scary moment. And it made me think that the reason they made Rook invisible in the first place was so it's not graphic. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, a, yeah, I, I agree with that. yeah. Um, I thought that I, I when she threw the paint bomb on him, I thought for, at first it was just a regular bomb. I'm like, oh, they're gonna blow him up. Good. Nope. Oh, nope. <laughs> okay, this is cool too. <laughs> yeah, I will say it took Rook a, a little bit too long to realize there was a bomb stuck to him. <laughs> that bomb was on him for like a good twenty seconds before yeah, he was yeah. like, wait, there's something on my head. <laughs> um, but I do like that moment with Sabine too because she. I was trying. It reminded me of something that happened to her. Oh, it was the Heroes of Mandalore episode where she was with Bo-Katan and she had the chance to absolutely destroy um, the most dishonorable way, destroy one of the Saxon brothers. I don't remember which one, Tiber, Tiber Saxon. And of course, Tiber still ended up dying, but she ended up making the honorable choice. And that felt like a really nice callback to her, that moment with her where she realized this is not the way that <laughs> little mandalorian this is not the way 
Um, and I like that she stopped Zeb and, like, pretty much, like, literally threw her body in front of Zeb to get him to stop and snap out of it. So that, that entire scene was really well done. So I think, I wrote this in red, too. I think I finally figured out the plot with the Lost Wolves. Okay. You ready? Okay. So here we go. So Doom, uh, Doom specifically says, restore the past, and he also says, redeem the future. So, Ahsoka, and Ezra pointed this out too, Ahsoka says that they would find knowledge on the Sith Temple in Malachor. Here, Doom says that Ezra will find knowledge inside the Lothal Jedi Temple. And in two episodes, we're going to have the world between worlds, where Ezra goes inside the Lothal Jedi Temple, finds the world between worlds, and thus finds Ahsoka on Malachor, where she also gains the knowledge of the world between worlds. And that, so what it is, is the knowledge that Ahsoka and Ezra wanted to find on Malachor in the Sith Temple is now coming back into the world between worlds because now Ezra and Ahsoka, who was on Malachor, now have this knowledge. And together, Ezra and, pa- and Ahsoka have to stop Palpatine from entering the world between worlds, which was the knowledge they were supposed to get in Season 2. But of course, everything happened in Twilight of the Apprentice. But now it's coming back because at the end of the world between worlds, Ahsoka returns back to Malachor to finish her journey. And Ezra gains all that knowledge here. I think yeah, it figured it out. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense. I, it dawned on me. I was like, yes. And so when Doom says restore past, I think he means you need to save Ahsoka. And I think that's what he's saying here. But when he says redeem the future, I don't think we know what that means yet. I don't think we've seen that part because I can't put that in any context for the rest of Rebels. And I'm wondering if that's going to be a future Ahsoka story where she has to redeem the future, which is possibly saving Ezra in return. Or or this sets off a chain of events that that, um, redeems... You know, the the redeeming in the future could be Anakin, you know, it could be um, it could be his redemption. And this is this is to keep this is to keep the the things that lead to and, you know, it's to keep Palpatine less powerful. So when the time comes for Anakin to chuck him down the hole, he can chuck him down the hole. Yeah, I, I feel that, too. Throw uh, Palpy down the well. It could also be um, I'm I'm using this as an example I don't subscribe to this idea, but I'm using it as an example. Um, so something that's a very popular theory in the Raylo community, being Ray and Kylo fans, is a lot of people are saying that Ray could always use the world between worlds to go back in time and rescue Ben. Um, that's the example. Now, remove them from this this thing. Perhaps redeem the future could be whoever accesses the world between worlds in the in future stories if it's ever accessed then has a chance to redeem something within Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Oh, I finally figured out. Well, the there's so many the redemption Marvel. arcs in Star Wars. It's a, it's a, it's a safely vague statement to make. Yeah. Um, I personally think it's going to be in a future Ahsoka story because the world between worlds is tied to Ahsoka and Ezra. And I think t- my, my personal theory is restoring the past is Ezra saving Ahsoka. Redeem the future will be 
a future Ahsoka story that has to do with Ezra. Um, that's my theory. But I'm just so proud of myself that I finally think I figured out the plot of the fucking Lothwolf. <laughs> yeah! Uh, so my other two notes um, just uh, have to do kind of in general. I wanted to talk a moment about how the original titles for last week's episode and this week's episode was Ascension Part 1 and Part 2 versus Jedi Knight and Doom. I actually kind of like the Ascension Part 1 and Part 2 better. Yeah, it's uh, it's too it sounds catholic to me. It's uh, it sounds too religious. It sounds too much like too Jesusy, you know. But <laughs> I, I like it. You can make those parallels, but I don't know if those parallels are best to make in Star Wars world, you know? It's it, it's it's just a little it's it it reminds me of like the Stations of the Cross or something like that, you know? It, it's uh I mean, like in a superhero story, like I'm I think there were some Daredevil stories that followed like that, that you and well Daredevil is a Catholic character also. <laughs> So, you know, it, it, it has too, the just Ascension has too much, like, baggage in our world and, and the religions of our world, I think, for me. Yeah. I, I, I like these, the second titles better. I, the reason I think I like Ascension is for that very reason. Like, throwing out the religion side of things, but looking at it from a spiritual point, this is a very spiritual moment for Kanan where his ascension was into the cosmic force, which now, then we see the embodiment of this episode. I like that spiritual connotation of those names, uh, of, the, of that title for him leaving his mortal coil of last episode and becoming part of the cosmic force. Um, so I actually, for the reason you don't like it, I like it for that reason. It gives this kind of spirituality it almost feels like something like that Chirrut Emma from Rogue well, I'm, One. I'm trying right? to think of another word, like a synonym for it or something that would work that doesn't have that. And I can't think of one that, that, that really, you know, that is a, that's just a single word, you know? Hold so, on. Let, let me pull up thesaurus.com. All right. Here we go. Possible other names for this episode. Ascent, part one or part two. <laughs> climbing part one and part yeah, two see, see it's just it, it doesn't have the same it's like i can think you know that he's leveling up <laughs> but that's i just, like this one mounting part one and part two <laughs> that's the porno <laughs> uh, towering part one and part two yeah uh, that's, that's about that's about a building catching on fire in in coruscant Kind of reminds me of the Towers uh, tarot card a little bit. Um, and and I kind of, I, I touched on this at the opening of the episode, but I just kind of want to come back to this um, and get more of your opinion. Um, does this work, episode work on its own without Jedi Knight coming before it? I mean, Jedi Knight sets up the story for it, but I think they work better together uh, because... Like at the end of the last episode, like watching these two together, sort of they work together, not not necessarily to work together. You don't have to watch them together, but emotionally they work together. So I think 
as a, as a pair, it probably is better to watch them together, even though it's really not a part one or part two, but they are pretty intimately intertwined. You know, I, I, feel the I same mean, way. a lot of what happens is just direct reaction to what happens in the last one. You know, I feel the same way. Um, I, I didn't feel quite as sad emotionally coming back. Well, to we this. knew we. Yeah, but you know, it's the second time through too. We we we've been talking well, about we we yeah. you know like uh, two more episodes. Kanan's dead, so but, you know but that's, it's that's not what I meant. Like like sitting it on its own, like the emotions hit differently. Like when you watch them together, even watching it the second time together, it still has that extra oomph because you're still coming off the last episode. Yeah, you're you're in the emotional space of the last episode, and you start the next one right after yeah. it. You know. And yeah. uh, probably think, and probably when you watched it, nobody even watched the credits. So the second one, they just went to the, the next one. So, yeah, I mean, and, the, and we had a week in between it, too. So it's yeah, yeah. it's definitely not the same experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel the same way. I, I feel like this one does work better with Jedi Knight attached to him. But that's all I had. Did you have anything else? Nope. So da, 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 it's time for Chris's favorite part of the episode. So Chris, you have to say something nice about Thrawn. What's what's your nice thing about Thrawn this week? All right, I got two. I got a bonus for you. Oh my goodness, really? Yep. The All first right, one here. is uh, Thrawn is nice enough to take time out from his solo project to to help out. Or he's he's. No, he's 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 kind enough to take time out from his 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 time important important time with the emperor to check back on his solo project, and that's okay. a good manager. Is to take time out of his meetings with Palps to check back in with with Ari. All right, and what's your what's your bonus? Bonus. Thrawn would be a great exterminator. That should be the he could go into business. I would have picked that as the one for the episode, but it really it only references the book, so. Exterminator. I can't spell exterminator. <laughs> like and Thrawn. It All right. Like, or like in eight, eight-legged freaks, like John Goodman and eight-legged freaks. I get into the roaches' art. I get into their head through their art. Well... Oh my god, you just made me think of um oh what's his name on King of the Hill? The exterminator guy, not Bill. Not Dale Gribble. Huh? Dale. Dale. Dale oh my god, he was like, Dale, I gotta get into the roach's head. <laughs> Alright, Chris, well so what I'll are your bet you, I'll bet you Thrawn has pocket sand. Ha ha cha cha! I I I knew you were gonna laugh because I knew you were picturing Thrawn reaching into his white jacket and <laughs> chucking sand out. Going ha cha cha. Thrawn, your power station blew up. <laughs> Pocket sand. Zoom. It's out of there. <laughs> All right, you ready to score this thing up? I have to remember to tell that to Megan. <laughs> I'm actually Googling it on my phone right now. Megan, Megan, Chris and I have a Thrawn pocket sand theory. Still Google. <laughs> Remind me to tell you all about it. 
pocket sand. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It is now in my phone, so next time I open my phone, I will be the first thing I see in case I forget, and then I'll be like, oh yeah, I need to send this to Megan. <laughs> All right, Chris, score up the episode. <laughs> ha cha cha! I just imagine that to, to pout to like Palpatine and Palpatine's like, oh my eyes, ow. Oh, the the, the planets are coming into alignment finally in this season. I gave it an eight point five. I'm sorry. I'm just imagining him trying to pocket sand Vader, but Vader wears a mask, so just is like, dink. And Vader's like, what are you doing? No, it would clog up his 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 uh ventilator, ventilator. in the front. It would get sand stuck in it, and Vader would be like. <laughs> 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 Okay, please rescore up the episode because I was laughing through your score. I, I gave it an eight point five. I liked it. I I, I docked it. I probably would have given it a nine, but I docked it for I docked it for the uh, the 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 wolf being too much of a chatty Kathy doll when he finally showed up. Okay. So eight point five. I actually like this episode better than last week's episode. <laughs> um, it was I. I like seeing how each member reacted um, and went through their grief. I'm not, uh, it's not quite as strong without Jedi Knight, but I, there are elements of this that I really liked. I, especially like with Zeb, Zeb gets to do so little this season that I like seeing him like kind of lose control and get his hands dirty and almost get pushed over the edge. Um, and I'm like, Chris, I actually like the wolves in this episode. I actually liked it a lot. I so don't I not gave, like him, but I would have written it. I would have told the, I would have gotten that information dumped done d- differently. Yeah. So I actually gave, I tied you. I gave it an 8.5 out of 10, yeah. but last week so you first were. First time we've scored the same score in a long time. Yeah. Last week, I think you were a nine and I was an eight last week. Although, yeah, an 8.5 for you is higher than an 8.5 for me though. So. Yeah. So. Well, as always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, or on the Two True Freaks Facebook page. This week, our feedback comes from two episodes, In the Name of the Rebellion, Part 1 and Part 2. So I have them, as you can see here, separated by Part 1 and Part 2. All right. The first one comes from Diego Lemos, and it says, In the Storm of Crate comics, the character Trusk Berenato, a friend of Bail Organo, Bail Organo, Bail Organa. <laughs> I Bail Orgasmo. Bail, I thought you said Bail Oregano. Bail Oregano. That's what I was. That's what my brain was probably sort of doing. <laughs> Out of ba- a friend of Basil Oregano. <laughs> I I will go ahead and say this is in reference to me asking. Why oh my God. Talking- oh my God. George Lucas totally named him after Basil Oregano. Oh George Lucas, you bastard. This was in response to me um, wondering why Bell Organa seemed to be really cool with Saw Gerrera. So this is what this is in response uh, to. Okay, let's start this storm, over. In the Storms of Crate comic, the t- character Trusk Baronado, a friend of Basil Oregano, <laughs> Oregano, refers to him as someone who would ask of his soldiers to be worse than the Empire. Maybe that's why Bale and Saw work so close together. He even says that Leia is the same, and to a certain degree the galaxy thinks the same because she is ostracized in the sequel era and called a warmonger for creating the Resistance. And Hope says, Whoa, 
I did not know that. That's really good insight. Thank you. It's so hard to do the bitchy hope voice when you're being so nice, though. You're like <laughs> thanking him and praising him and stuff. It's just hard to, to make it sound nasty. It makes me sound very passive aggressive. Yes, it does. It, it, yeah. All right. Which, and, and, which, and, which I'm not, Diego. That was a really good insight because I did not know that about Bale. And I was like, yeah. oh, he seems so like nice dad Bale of all the time. But really, he's just like, yes, kill them. Yes. Any any insinuation in any of the, the reader's letters comes from my reading of them. <laughs> so <laughs> never ascribe it to whoever wrote the letter in. All right. Part two. Come, We got one coming from Paul C. Kelly. Oh, yeah. That kyber crystal looks like a giant Zelda rupee. And Diego Lemo says it does. It does. I'll take your word for it. I don't know nothing about the Zelda stuff. My roommate does. She's played all those Zelda games. It looks like a single uh, rupee. Uh, I keep wanting to say dollar and or credit. But that's exactly what the green rupees in Zelda look like. So absolutely it does. I need to finish playing the Champions Ballad of Breath of the Wild. I'm stuck on replaying Thunderblight Ganon. That bastard. Okay, Candy. We need well, to finish candy, this box. Candy and... We need to finish some of this my, box. <laughs> there's some of my candies are just like, meh. It's been hot here lately. <laughs> well, we still have three Kit Kats from the first box. I think okay. one is the Wasabi Kit Kat. Well, if you don't know what we're doing... You want to do the Wasabi Kit Kat? I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm looking for it. I got it in here. I'll find it. I'll find it. Well, I'll, I'll give the background. So, Chris hates American Kit Kat because he's a weirdo. So, our friend Dario Gonzalez, which is Chris's co-podcaster from Eat and Beat It, sends this candy from all over the world to review. And this week, it looks like we're doing, I think it's a Wasabi Kit Kat. I don't have the look anymore, but it does come from it Japan. Says, my, I, I have my baggie. It says, Tamaruya Wasabi. Okay, my, my baggie doesn't have a listing on it, so I'm it's, just going by the picture. I mean, you can see the wasabi on the cover of it. There's a big old... Uh, yeah. And I love wasabi, so I'm very... I love wasabi, too. I don't know about wasabi and... Oh, it's green. It is green. I lo- yeah, I love wasabi. Wasabi is the greatest hot Whoa. of all the hot. Whoa, it's in the aftertaste. It's, it should be. It's wasabi. But it's so subtle. I was actually expecting it to be more spicy. But when you first bite into it. Wow. Yeah. When you first bite into it, it tastes like chocolate. But as you're breathing, you can taste hints of the wasabi. But it's not spicy like wasabi. It's not hot at all. At all. Well, no, no, not at all. I mean, sort of. That's weird. You can, you definitely get it if you take a bigger bite. Because my first bite was little. But when I took a bigger bite, I definitely well, I got just stuck wasabi. half of it in my mouth to try to concentrate. It's like afterwards, it's almost. Well, I guess Whoa. it's very similar to mustard in a lot of ways, but there's almost like it's weird. Yeah, it's good. not hot at all. I was thinking it was going to be sweet. I was and then, to be hot. And then boom, it hit, you know. It's definitely, you get it in your nose as, but that's how it should be. That's sort of how wasabi gets you. Mmm. Very interesting, Dario. Very interesting. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, I am very. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm. When I crammed, like the more I ate it, it got like a tiny bit of spice. But then I, I finished my piece and I was like, it's gone. That, that is very strange. I really enjoy that. Um, mm, mm, thank you, Dario. I'm excited. But I'm a, my, I usually share my candy with my dad, but he doesn't like wasabi. So I think my stepmom's going to really enjoy this because she loves wasabi, too. Oh, I, I would say your dad probably would like somebody who doesn't like wasabi would probably not even know what's going on with it. You know, you almost have to recognize it to catch it. It's so subtle. It I would know. Probably, it would probably just taste like a nice, sweet Kit Kat to anybody else. Would like uh, a uh, that would be sweet. funny because then your dad would be like, oh, I think I like wasabi. And then the first time he got a nice big ball of wasabi. <laughs> we actually. OK, I love my sister, Jen, but I'm going to tell your most embarrassing story. Ready? Mm-hmm. story time with hope before we wrap up so we have an iconic story with my sister and when we were all on vacation when i was very young um we were in daytona daytona beach on vacation and we went to a fish restaurant and my sister loved horsey sauce from arby's she would just put slather it on everything mm-hmm. the thing about horsey sauce it's a tiny bit of horseradish and a, and ton a lot of, of mayo yeah. It, it's it's just it's basically like a hot mayo. Yes. So at this fish restaurant, there was a ball of horseradish sauce, pure horseradish sauce. And because she loved horse horsey sauce, she took a huge spoonful of it and just crammed it in her mouth, expecting it to be like horsey sauce from Arby's. And Ooh. then she immediately ran to the bathroom and just started puking. <laughs> That's my that embarrassment. I love raw horseradish, but I wouldn't eat it like that. Nope. So that's the embarrassing story that I get to embarrass my sister. And she's not here to say anything because she doesn't like Star Wars. So I know she's not listening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Though I will say if she ever was on this show, she would tell so many embarrassing stories of me. Oh, well. Maybe. She is, she is plenty. <laughs> maybe you can get her in with one of your, you and your mom's wine sessions and we can uh, really get some good dirt. I would actually really love to have most of my sisters on the podcast. <laughs> I say most because I'm exploding one. But um, I would love to have Jen, Brandy, and Gina here just to just to be here and just shooting this shit because they we are just we're fun when we're together. I, I yeah, I would be very curious to see that dynamic. Of all my sisters, and yep. even, even if Topher was here, but uh, we're having like Jordi and Ishmael here too. Um, something that I personally would love to do if I ever get a chance to, um, and it just it hasn't come up, is I would like to have my little my three little nephews who love Star Wars on the show, um, and just sit down and do a podcast with them and just talk about Star Wars with like three little little youngins. Yeah, that um, would be great. I would love that. I I. I I haven't had the chance to have that opportunity the last few times I've been to Florida. So, um, but that's, that's the dream. I, I, that's, that's a goal I would love to do is have them on the show one time and just talk Star Wars with like my little babes, my little nephews. Well, uh, that's all I have. Where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That's our website. We got all our podcasts there. You can sign up for our RSS feed there, or you can sign up for it on iTunes. We are also on Facebook. We got the Two True Freaks podcast page on Facebook where we also list all of our many podcasts. 
we just hit a milestone. We uh, released our five thousandth podcast. It was an episode. <gasps> it was, was an episode. It? it was an episode of First Degree Burn with um, Brian Hughes and um, Tim Elliott. Yes. Congratulations. And yeah, I was I, I, I was I, I, I was very curious and then the last few days I'd been watching it inch up and I'm like, ooh, probably on Monday we're gonna get it and that was it. The, our five thousand podcast came out. Oh, you I can see also... that actually in the two true freaks group. It's the very yeah. first post that popped up in the two true freaks group. I just group. posted today, yep. Yeah. Yipper. And we've even had a couple after that, so we're we've broken the barrier. And we also have the Two True Freaks Cantina on Facebook, which is just sort of our hangout spot. And if you dare go onto the dreaded Twitter, there's a Two True Freaks presence there run by Gene Gene the Twitter machine. Gene. Gene. That was me flicking a can just for, okay. you know, a change of pace. But that's that's where they can find me. Where can they find Hope Mullinex? You can find me at jguysandjedi on Twitter. I run our Twitter account. You can also find me at Hope Molinax on Twitter. I, of course, have my website, geekygirlexperience.com, where I'm actually, this will be a few weeks in the past, but I'm actually writing a two-part editorial about why Star Wars Resistance needed a third season. And I just released part one, um, which was analyzing what the characters would look like if it had a third season. And then the part two, which would also be out by the time this comes out, um, is going to be talking about the story and the plot and how it, some issues with the plot and stuff could have been fixed if they had a third season. So I that is a two-part uh, editorial that I'm working on, all about Star Wars Resistance. And also, over on Geeky Girl Experience, Chris and I have a whole other podcast called Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. And we are currently going through Gravity Falls, which is on Disney+. Plus. So if you're watching uh, Star Wars Rebels on Disney+, Plus, along with us, you should go over to Gravity Falls and watch Gravity Falls with us, because we're having a really good time talking. Well, I can't talk for Chris, but I'm having a really good time talking about Gravity Falls. I'm definitely Chris. having a good time. You know I'm having a good time. I know you are. I just don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> but, well, pit, well the ma- Chris, pitch the show. What do you like about Gravity Falls? Well, it is, it's got the get Chris to watch je ne sais quoi about it, which is Chris often doesn't watch something that people are like, you should watch this. And Chris wants to watch it, but he can't watch it because he needs to have an assignment (laughs) for like a podcast in order to schedule, be able to schedule it in because there's so much to watch. So this is this is the chance to get this is a chance to get like my it, it's it's like it's something that you've already seen in its fullness and 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 you're sharing so it's I'm I'm like the um not really like the shill but I'm I'm kind of like the idiot that just comes in and gets walked through it you know by by the hand with in a sort of stunned daze so and and you know i i i think being an 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 old person gives me a different perspective on especially shows like gravity falls i mean it's going to take on a different character for each show too you know that we do i'm like i i i imagine um 
when we get avatar. to avatar it's going to be a completely it, i i imagine our conversations in avatar are going to be more like our conversations in j guys and jedi you know mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be dealing with a a, a storyline with the with the same sort of stuff that gravity falls has a different dynamic to it so it's sort of i i'm enjoying it because it's very light and fun you know it's, yeah there's not a lot of you know there's not a lot of like hard analysis to do with this it's just sort of it's just sort of fun and and enjoyable i think my favorite part about doing it is um if you've never watched gravity falls um it's there is a big mystery of the show because it's about twins dipper and mabel and they're staying with their grunkle stan uh for the summer and they're staying in a town where there's just weird magical mystical things and the whole mystery is in the first episode dipper finds a journal and and it's unwrapping the mystery of this journal well since chris has never seen the show before he has a speculation corner where he gets to speculate about like the mysteries and i'm just in there covering my mouth going okay I can't say anything. I can't spoil the show for him. Um, so we are just having such it's a good fun. time over there. As an old person, why should people watch Gravity Falls? Oh, it's fun. Come on. I mean, I I like I don't distinguish until you get to like Barney and and stuff, you know, stuff for real little kids where you're just sort of dealing with that basic you know the the basic brain of a little kid so it's all just colors and sounds and lights i don't distinguish from adult entertainment and child entertainment i mean my adult entertainment has more you know adult things in it but it's still going to the you know you're still going to the same place as storytelling you know Mm -hmm. and uh so so uh, you know i mean I take it for for what it, the level it was produced at, but at the same time, there's a lot. It I mean, it's all about it's like a paranormal monster of the week show. So that's always gonna my first favorite show as a kid was Scooby Doo. So it's right along, and it's and it's way better written than Scooby Doo. It's way less formulaic. That Scooby Doo is just the same story with a different monster plugged into it. And followed the exact same pattern, you know, like to a, a song in the middle of it and everything. Whereas th- this one, this one is this uh, is chill, chill, and children's entertainment now is written at a more is written with the express thought that the adults are going to be there right by the kids watching it. So it has to be it has to be interesting for the adults. So I it, I have no problem transitioning into kitty cartoons. Yeah. If, if you want to call it kitty cartoons or whatever stuff for uh, material for kids, I have no, no problem. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys actually want to hear Hope Makes for Chris watch cartoons, there's a few ways that you can listen. It is on iTunes. It's also on Podbean, which is my host. Um, and I think under Podbean, it's under H M C. WC, which is short for Hope Makes Trust Watch Cartoons. Um, and so you can listen for free in those two places, or you can get completely caught up on my Patreon because my patrons are actually two months ahead <laughs> of everybody else. So you can listen to the show there and come hang out. We're having fun. So, 
All right. I'm actually really interested in next week's episode two, um, Rebel Season 4. Um, because next week is the episode Wolves and a Door. And like all the other episodes of the season, Wolves and a Door was tagged with A World Between Worlds. And both episodes aired together. And I'm wondering how well this one will stand on its own. Yeah, well, we'll think about that as I watch it for sure. I'm yeah. just getting I'm getting psyched for one of my favorite images from all of um, Star Wars Filoni animated stuff. What what is it? It's Palpatine doing his bubble bubble boil in trouble. Ah, uh, we're two episodes away. That's where we're. I know, world. I know. We're coming up on it. I love that. I love that scene. It's but so next, cheesy and goofy and great. But next week we get to talk about the Mortis gods, Chris. Our favorite. Yay. Yay. I hear Patrick Delmore laughing maniacally <laughs> in the distance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was the episode where Patrick went, ha ha, see, they are important. <laughs> While me and Chris are like, oh. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.